You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I watched that this week and with Jason and it just made my heart leap because it's such a heart of our Father to do more than you would expect. Just hang a little sheet in my, on there, just something small. And he goes overboard and lets them know from far off that he wants them home. That's the heart of our Father. And it, uh, as believers and as non-believers in our life sometimes, we like to run. We like to run to the comfort zone. We like to run into a place where we think we can do it on our own. We can do it better. And many times when we run, we run and we end up somewhere that we didn't expect to be. How did I get here? And then we have two choices. Do I just try to fix it on my own? Do I stay in that, let's call it a pit today? That predicament, whatever you want to call it? Or do I humble myself? Do I pick up my mat? Do I arise? And do I go back to my father? Do I go back to what I once knew? And that's the message for today. It's out of Luke 15. It's called the prodigal son. It's called the lost son. It's called the wayward son. I even saw it categorized as the lovesick father. I like that one. You know, a prodigal, in, in, in Webster says, the prodigal says it's wasting money, extrav- extravagant lifestyle or wasting of money. That's what I, I, I looked it up earlier this week. And so basically what this but the story of the prodigal son is talking about a guy who takes what he wants and he takes off running and he says, I'm going to do it my own way. So let's start in, in Luke 15. And you have to start at the beginning of Luke 15 because you have to understand who Jesus is talking to here. These people, these, these Pharisees, are, are sitting there watching Jesus. They're always watching. You ever feel like as, as a believer sometimes that people are always watching you, see how, what you're going to do, what you're going to say? Well, Jesus went through the same thing. And if you've got a bulletin today, i got all the scripture in here, and you can follow on the board. And so um, Jason's going to try to stick with me a little bit here today. And so we're, on, we're in Luke 15, and this is the first two verses. It says, that Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Oh no. That Jesus, what is he up to? Does he not know who he's hanging out with? Sinners and he eats with them, right? And he receives them. So that's the context here of, of Luke 15. And we'll see later, in, 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 as, you, as you go through Luke, there's a, a story about the parable of the lost sheep. This guy has a hundred sheep, and one wanders off, and the shepherd goes after him and brings him home. And there's much celebration, right? He goes out and tells everybody, man, I got my sheep back. And then there's the, right after that, there's the, the parable of the lost coin where a woman has ten coins and she loses one. And she turns her house, house upside down and she gets her coin and she tells her, look, I found my lost coin. And then we go to the next story, the parable, 
is the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm going to read it here for you in bits and chunks, and I will go through it today. Because there's two sons in the story, right? Equally important. A lot of times, as, as Christians, we focus on the lost one, and he's got to come out of his pit and come back. Very important. But when you look at what Jesus is talking about in Luke 15, he's focusing a lot on the second son, the one with the religious mindset, the pharisaical type person who is looking down on people. And so they're both equally important. And the most important part about it is the heart of the father to both kids. And you'll see something in there that's pretty amazing. So let's start in verse 11. And he said, there was a man, this is Jesus talking, so it's got to be pretty important, right? There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me, and he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had came to himself, he said, how many of you, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, I will go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and he came to his father. We'll stop there and, and look. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property and he divided among them. If you look in Deuteronomy 21.17, it talks about the older son getting twice as much as the younger son. So if there's two sons, you figure... The younger son got one-third of the inheritance. And the other guy got two-thirds, the older son. And so what takes one-third of his inheritance, he heads off into a foreign country, foreign land, and he tries to get away from the influence of his father, right? We see that a lot of times in the Bible. We see, we see Jonah, who is told to go to Nineveh and speak a word of knowledge to these people so they could get saved. And what does Jonah do? He runs completely the opposite direction to Tarshish, which is the furthest place you could possibly be, he thought. And if he could just get there, he would be outside of God's influence and he wouldn't have to deal with the Ninevites, right? But we know what happens to Jonah. He ends up in the sea, he ends up in a whale, he repents, and he heads back and does what God wants for him. So there's a history of people we see that, that, that run from their father, and he's trying to get out from underneath the influence of the Father. How many people here, if you can think about yourself, if you try, you, you try to get out from under, underneath the influence of someone, maybe someone who's, who hasn't been very good influence on you, or maybe you feel like you can do it your own way, so you feel like, you know, i got to run from church. i got to run from, from my upbringing or, or something that's good because you feel like i just got to do it my own way. And then you find yourself in a foreign land, in Babylon, wherever you want to call it, and you end up, you know, with your rope all knotted up. I like to use that one. I saw that on City Slickers one time. You know, he says it in the movie, if you've ever seen it, you know, all you people uh, living in the big city, you, you get a bunch of knots in your rope, 
And then you come out here to this dude ranch and you try to get all the knots out of your rope and you think, you know, one week here is going to fix everything, you know. And so it's, it's what happens. We get our rope all knotted up and we get in trouble and, 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 and we go. So this guy takes off and he's living high on, he's living pretty good, right? So he thinks. Sometimes, that's how we think sometimes. I got the money, I got this, I got that. As long as I'm, I'm happy and, and I'm, I could pay for everything and I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm doing all right, you know, living for myself. But then he says he spent everything. And but even worse than that, a severe famine hits. So he's really destitute. And this is the thing about the world. When we go out and chase the things of the world, we live in the world. There's great things in the world. We, we're part of it. But when we chase the things that the world says are good, no matter what, we're always going to end up in lack. Because it's unfulfilling. You'll end up in lack spiritually. And this is what happens to this young man. He ends up in lack. He ends up with nothing. He ends up a destitute. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. I like how it says in the King James, he joined himself to one of the citizens. Think about that. Here's a guy who's in lack. He got a bunch of good stuff from his father. He knows it's a good place, but instead of humbling himself and going back to the Father at this particular juncture, he tries to fix it on his own, right? And I love how it says he joined himself to a citizen of that country. This is what we do sometimes. We feel like if I could just join myself to a man, or if I just join myself to a woman, everything will be better. They'll take care of me. If I just get the right job, if I join myself to the right employer, Everything will be taken care of. If I can just join myself to that crowd, the in crowd, things will look good. I'll be on the up and up. And this is what this guy does. So he, take, he joins himself. He's in lack. He joins himself to a person who's probably not, maybe even of his descent. Maybe another religion. Maybe a different belief system. Maybe no beliefs at all. And that's what we do. We just think, well, this guy has something if I could just attach myself to him, things will get better. Does it get better for him? Let's read. He says he was longing to be fed the pods. It says he sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Here's a Jewish guy who's forbidden by God to eat pork. And there he is feeding pork. Can you think of any lower place for a Jewish man? He must look around and just go, man, this really stinks. Literally. I'm in a pigsty. And I'm feeding these pigs that I can't even eat. Kind of reminds me of the Hindus where there's, you know, cows walking around the street in certain countries and these people are hungry. I'm like, cow. Right? But the, the, the pigs, he can't even eat them. And he's thinking, if I could just eat the pig slop, I'd be better off. But he didn't even get that. He's in so much lack, he can't even eat the pig slop. He has nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's because he went on on his own, thought he could do it on his own, and then when he figured out it was, he was in lack and in trouble, he still tried to fix it on his own. And he says, if I could just get someone to fix it with me, if I could just get in bed with the right person, it'll be fixed. Got worse. He's in a pit. He's in the low of lows. He can't get any lower as a Jewish man right now. 
Because everything, eventually everything you search for outside of what God's word and plan will, will end in unsatisfaction, it will end in death. Seeking your own way will allow us to end up in a pit every time. It does. But I love this. He takes stock of where he's at and he says, but when he came to himself, this is Jesus talking, this is what the guy says, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So he gets a revelation, right? He's starting to think. Hmm. He gets a revelation of the father. He sees that the father has some great things. And he says, if I could just get back in the presence of my father, maybe I'll get taken care of. And I love that word perish, because it means so much. John 3.16, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Right? Matthew 18, 14, even so it's not the will of the Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You know? He uses that word perish and I'm thinking, he's getting it. He's like, if I can get back to my Father, I may not perish. But he has a different view of his Father and we'll see. He was a son with all the inheritance and all the authority and, and helped run that kingdom, if you want to call it, of that dad. But he's looking at it a different way. I'm not worthy anymore. And we'll see that. How many people felt that way? I, I, I've known God, and I've, I've went away from God, and somehow, because I failed, that I look at my mess, I look at my misery, and somehow, I'm just not worthy. I'm not worthy, Father. It's not true. You're still a son, and you're still a daughter. And he says something great. He says, I will arise... I will go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. See, repentance requires action. I can know what the word says, but if I don't act on that and go back to the father, it doesn't matter what the word says. I got to do what the word says. And here's the thing, he feels unworthy he feels unworthy to be his son because of his actions, because of his failures, because of his rebellion. Okay? How many people are there today? You don't have to be long lost and in some crazy lifestyle to be a prodigal, to be a lost son, to be a lost daughter. Just doing it your own way, ignoring God and doing it this way. You know, God's saying, all of us, should turn back to him in every, every, any, every area of our lives. So have you ever felt this way? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, to be called your daughter. Maybe it's a good place to be some, for some of us, just to ask that question. I don't believe it because I think once you confess Jesus, Lord, you're always a son and you're always a daughter and you're always worthy and that's why you can go back. You can turn and go to him. So what does he do? Does he stay in the foreign land? Does he just use lip service and say, if I arise and go back to my father, things will be better? No. He takes action. He gets up and he goes. Picks up his mat and walks, right? Like Peter at the beautiful gate, he picks up the cripple guy. The guy got up and he was healed. There was an action involved. And he arose and he came to his father. Best line ever coming up for me right in the last week. 
two weeks. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. A long way off. How many of you are a long way off? How many of me are a long way off at times? And we think, I can't go home. I've done something so bad I can't go back to my father. I'm ashamed. I'm guilty. And what this tells you right here, this father in the story is Father God. And he says when he was a long way off, he went to him. That's Father God. Where is he? There's Stan. There's Dave. You know? There's Zach. I've had Zach on my radar since before time began. And there he is. He's come back. And he runs to him. And he meets him where he's at. And the, and, and the kid's got this big speech prepared, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And the father stops him. And the father doesn't say, you're right. You dirty, rotten scoundrel. You bum, you wasted everything. You're a loser. Why did you come back? I don't know what I'm going to do with you. Your brother's been working so hard, and you think you can just come home and just and be my son again? Yeah, that's what he's... Well, he was a long way off. He felt compassion. He ran and embraced him. The son gave him the speech. And dad says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Really? Seriously? That's the heart of the father. Do you know what the ring and the robe and the shoes represent? Some great scripture there. I'll give you a couple. You can look in, the, in Esther 6.11 where it says, Haman robed Mordecai. It says it was a sign of unique favor. It was royalty. In Esther 3.10 it says the king put a signet ring on Haman, giving him authority to put the royal seal on decrees. He says, you're royalty. He says, I'm going to put shoes on your feet because you know back in the day, you know who went barefoot? Slaves. If you had shoes, you were something. He says, I'm going to put the robe on you. I'm going to put the ring on you. I'm going to put the shoes on you. He says, because you, you're part of my family. You're my son. You're royalty. You have authority. Think about that. His whole speech was, I just got to get in the presence of my father. And when he gets in the presence of his father, he doesn't have to be a slave. He gets restored to full sonship. I love that. Now for some people, they think, eh, that's a little hard to believe. There's got to be some work to it. Yeah, I'm sure if you, if you, you would have lived in that time, there would have been some work. Maybe they had to talk through a few things. But for some reason, the Bible doesn't put it in there because they're just saying, you know what? He's a son. He's been forgiven. And he'd already been redeemed. And the thing is, when you look at this story, the truth is, he never lost his sonship. Because if he had lost his sonship and been disowned, Papa wouldn't have been out there scanning their eyes and looking for him. He would have probably had to go back in and bang on the door. He would have drove by the house and the white flag wouldn't have been out, right? Except the, ju- the young man in the, in the video, before he even gets home, he sees white banners everywhere. He's like, I'm welcome. I'm home. And that's the great thing about Father God. He's going to meet you where you're at and he's going to restore your authority. 
that you never lost. You're a son. You're a daughter because of your confession of your mouth. It says in Genesis 41-42 that Pharaoh puts a ring and robe on Joseph and makes him head of the whole land. The slave is now in charge. And everyone's going to know because he's wearing the, the company ring and he's got the big coat on. Sign of authority. So when you think you're naked and in despair, you've got to see yourself clothed in righteousness. That you've got the ring that says, I have authority. You know what they use that ring for? Not only was it a sign that, like, that guy's something. They'd take that thing and they would dip it in wax or even blood sometimes, and they would seal a royal decree. And whenever that royal decree was sealed with that signet ring, it couldn't be opened. And whatever was inside that decree was real. So he was, like in Haman and those guys back then, and even this son, he was basically saying, I've given you authority over the whole land. By you just stamping that ring there, it's official. That's what the ring means. And Father God has slipped the ring on your finger. He's saying, you have authority. You're my son. The Father was restoring him for two reasons. One, let me read so I get it right. To show the son that he was always a son that he never lost his right standing with the Father. He couldn't run far enough from it, or did he have to work to regain it back? He just came home. And number two is to show everyone else that he was accepted by his Father and shield him from condemnation that he would probably have to endure in that time. Just think if the, if the, if the dad doesn't receive him, he's got to go into town. And everyone knows there's the lost son. There's the bum that took off and ran. But Father God meets him so far out in his own field that by the time everyone gathers around, he's got a robe and a ring, sandals. They're eating a fatted calf and they're celebrating. Why? Because my son was once lost and now he's found. He was once dead and now he's alive. And that's how Father God sees us. He didn't see us as the bum. He didn't see us in the pit. He didn't see us as lost. He sees us as his son and his daughter. And that's the mindset that you have to have when you find yourself tripped up somewhere. That you know what? The reason I can go back to the Father is because I am a son and I am a daughter. Shame and guilt and condemnation, that's from people. And if you're one of those people heaping it on people that are lost, stop. Because the Father doesn't see him that way. Put your arms around him and hug him and say, you're welcome. Father God loves you. We can get through this together. That's what I love about this church. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. I love that. It's grace on display. If you ever wander from God, head home because he has the robe, the ring, the fatted calf. It's rightfully yours. Take off the grave clothes you have chosen to wear and replace it with the robe of righteousness. Did not Jesus leave the grave clothes in the tomb? Take them off. You're not dead anymore. You're alive and well. You're well and able. Father God wants you to put the robe on and live. Verse 25. We get the other side of the story here. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, Hey, what's going on? He actually didn't say that. He says, What do these things mean? He's basically saying, why is this happening when I'm out working my tail off, 
what could there be to celebrate? And he said to him, this is the servant, or your brother came home, your father has killed the fatted calf. And he's like, what? Killed the fatted calf? Because he has received him back safe and sound. This is where it gets great. Let me ask you this question. It's a great question that Pastor Jason threw it at us here over the last few days. Does grace offend you? Does it? Someone else getting favor and you've worked your whole life to get in God's good books and you feel like you're doing everything right and here comes some dirty, rotten scoundrel that just gets it and, and is just blessed? Does that offend you? It shouldn't. It should make you rejoice. It should make you rejoice. We got another one for the kingdom. He's on our team now. He's come back. Just think about this. If, if, if grace offends you, then you really don't like the story about the woman at the well. That really bugs you. Because that lady had five husbands and she was working on her sixth. And she didn't even live with them. That's got to offend you. How about the woman caught in the act of adultery? Do I con- is anyone here to condemn you? No, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Oh, that's got to bug you. Dude, she's a sinner. No grace. How about the thief on the cross? When Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, because he says, this is, this is God himself. That's got to bug you. How about Zacchaeus, the tax collector? The chief tax collector. He's the worst of the worst, right? This guy bugged these people. And Jesus says, come on down. We're going to have lunch together. And, and he repents and he says, I'm going I'm to repay everybody. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this home and his family. That's got to bug you if, you if grace offends you. It's too easy. How about Saul? There's no way anybody like Saul could ever be a Christian. A murderer. That guy wrote most of the New Testament. That's the love and the joy and the mercy of God's grace. It's grace. It's raining on you. Receive it. Grace should not offend you. It shouldn't. Some people try to think, you know what? We're just too much grace. You know, if there was not enough grace in the world, you know where I'd be? Out doing the same old stupid stuff I was doing 14 years ago. That's where I'd be. Grace extended by God. Grace extended by the people of Praise Community Church. Twofold. One, because God extends grace, and two, because God extended grace to the other people that they see me in my condition and they extend grace to me and heap it on me too. So now I got God and the people of God lumping grace on me and I'm like, whoa, I can get through this. I can do life together with these people. Starts with God. God extends grace to you, you extend grace to other people. I'll be honest with you. I'm not that good at it all the time. I, you know, be honest with you, sometimes you're just like, what, dude, you didn't even give me a goat, dad. That's what it says, right? You didn't even give me a goat, and you're giving Junior here the fatted calf. I've been feeding that thing for months. And you go give it to him. You know what it's like saying? This is, this is I'll tell you the story. This is how my brain works, and you guys know how my brain works, right? The, the kid says to, to his dad, he goes, I've been here slaving and working hard. And he says, and you take him 
to the Prime and Wine for dinner. And you wouldn't even drive me through McDonald's. And the dad says to the kid later, he says, you own the Prime and Wine and you own McDonald's. You could have went there all you wanted. That's what he's saying to him. He's saying, everything I have, you own. As we go along in the scripture, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. He says, everything I have, you own. Because remember he said he divided among both of them? This dude owned two-thirds. So if the kid wasted the one-third, the son, the older son, this was his property. Dad had given it to him earlier. We saw that. So he's out there slaving and working and trying to just work to get his father's favor. And then when, when the son comes home and his dad extends grace to his son, he says this. I love it. He says, uh, let me get it right. Because you can see the attitude of a pharisaical person. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came home, he who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf. This son of yours. He doesn't even call him his brother anymore. So bitter he is. He's working and working and working. And his dad's like, dude, you, 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 I've always loved you. All is yours. And his dad says, does two great things in this story, the dad. Does a lot of great things. He goes out to meet the lost son, meets him right where he's at. The angry son, who wouldn't come into the party, Papa God, who's in the story, or the father, goes out and meets him. Says, come on, son, come in and celebrate. And, he, and the guy gives him all this diatribe by why we shouldn't celebrate. And his dad says the same thing. He says the same thing he says to the, to the lost son. After this, the lost son is trying to tell him how he's going to get back in his good books, he says this. Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. That's what he says. Here's, a, here's the thing. Sometimes we try to over-theologicize or whatever you want to call the word. We get too technical. And we can just strip it down to the bare facts and just say, so-and-so was lost and now he's found. He's alive where he was once dead. Let's just take him where he's at and let's just put the robe on him. Let's put the ring on him. Let's put some sandals on his feet. Let's lift him up and let's just love on him. Because he was lost. And I think sometimes we try, we try to do too much that we think like, and we, and we focus on what we used to be. I heard one preacher saying that, you know, as Christians sometimes, no matter what happens, all we ever say is, you know, we're just old sinners saved by grace. And it's like, you know what? I'm a new spirit. Full of grace. You know? Or I'm just human. That's just how I act. No. If you're a Christian right now, you're one-third Holy Spirit from wall to wall. You're not just human. You're a son or child of the Most High. The forgiving love of the Father symbolizes the divine mercy and grace of God. The older brother's resentment is like the attitude of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who opposed Jesus. Think about that. That's what Jesus is talking to. If you look through, I was reading through the, the New Testament and the, and the Gospels, and it's Jesus is so hilarious. Because everything he says is just like big old mirror on the Pharisees, right? They try to come at this way one way and he says something and they're just like he's talking about us again. Except they never figured it out that he was talking about them or else they all would have got saved, right Jim? They just didn't get it. And that's the part of this, this older son. He just didn't get it. How much his son was his son. 
He felt like as soon as his son walked off the, pl- off, the, off the grounds, he was no longer his son. And Father God's like, he's always been my son. When he was feeding the pigs and he was wasting the money way down the road there, away from home, he was a son. And according to the father, nothing he could do could snatch him out of his hand. He was his son. Now, when he came back home to the father, the relationships can be good because he's living for the father. Now, if you're a son or a daughter and you're out there slopping the pigs, come to your senses. Arise. Go back home. Father God's got something good for you. You've always been a son. You've always been a daughter. The problem that we have is, as human beings, I'll use that word, is we feel like because some mother or some father didn't love us, or treated us bad, which I understand I'm not making light of it, doesn't, so we think because of that relationship with that person that that father can't love us. Wrong. He loves you immensely. He doesn't want us wasting our life in a pit in a far off land. He says, come home, son. Come home, daughter. I got something good for you. Just think about that. If you were a few short days ago in the worst pit of your life and you went back into a place and they put a brand new suit on you and a ring and the best shoes you could get. They took you to the prime wine and they said, you just feast. Be pretty good, wouldn't it, Zach? If you've been slapping pigs and you can't even eat their food. I know we got some hog farmers here, so I'm not trying to offend anybody. <laughs> but the thing is, you're not defined by the pit you're in. You're not defined by the wayward actions you've done. You're not defined by that. I can say to somebody and say, you know what? You did this and you did that and look what you did and you caused problems. But Father, God doesn't see you that way. He says, come home. But you gotta arise and you gotta walk back. There's some action. I love what it says in Romans 6, 12 to 13. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who, get this, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from life to death. That's how you present. This is who I am. These are some of the actions that I've done. But God says I'm this. He says I'm alive and I'm not dead. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's what he says. You've been made alive with Christ. Before you were with God, you were dead. Now that you've allowed God to work in your life, you're alive. The prodigal son was always alive to the father, and that's why he's kept his eye on the horizon. Do you think the father just accidentally went out there that one day and was just like, oh, there's my son. He had a purpose, didn't he? He did it every day, didn't he, Karen? I guarantee you that father, every day, from the day that kid left to the day that kid came home, was looking for his son. I'm, I like to think that every day he went out another 100 yards, and another 100 yards, and another 100 yards. He's going to make that distance shorter until his son comes home, and he's going to meet him right where he's at. He's going to embrace him. He's going to hug him. He's going to love on him. He's going to put the ring on his finger. He's going to have a feast and a celebration. Does it not say that every time someone turns their life over to Christ, there's a celebration in heaven. Big one. My last scripture 
is my favorite scripture of all time, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. I think I, re- I have it in the Amplified. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as a Savior, he is a new creature, reborn, renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come, because spiritual awakenings bring new life. I'm going to finish with this. You are a royal king. You are a queen. Clothed in righteousness. So walk with your head held high, live from your position of authority, and favor in the kingdom of heaven today. The story of two guys, two sons, a religious one, and one that was lost. Same father, same grace extended. I know some of you guys out here are hurting today. I've been in a place in my life where I was hurting and I didn't know where to turn. And I thought it was Friday Friday, Friday. If I could just get to Friday night and Saturday night and have some fun, everything would be better. And you know what? Sunday came. The only problem back then is I wasn't here Sunday. And then I, I, I got invited to a church by my wife called Praise Community Church. And I decided to go one Sunday because my wife was going. I hadn't got a revelation from God yet. I'm sure he was speaking to me. I was just ignoring him, right? But I got, in, I got into this church and I heard Pastor Jeff preaching the word on it, and then I got around some other guys who, were, who knew the word. Pastor Jim and some other guys, uh, Roger Vandenplug, Dave Sorensen, I've shared this before. And they just started speaking the word. And I'm like, it was foreign to me, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was. But then I got this opportunity to give my life to Christ. And I gave my life to Christ. And I allowed him to work in my life. And I was that, that son that was out there. I was probably not even the product because I wasn't even in the kingdom of God yet. But I was out there doing my own thing. And I, you know what? When I, when I, when I came back and, and I decided I'm going I'm to live for the Father, other stuff didn't seem so real. I didn't need Friday, Saturday night to get me. Because you know why? Because if I was out doing stupid stuff Friday, Saturday night, I might miss Sunday. I'm going to get my rest. You know? What's my point? You take anybody and turn them into somebody. That's what God does. And the thing is, we're all somebody. If you've kicked around, pushed around, knocked around, thrown down, pushed out, told you're not good enough, you're a perfect candidate for the love of God because he doesn't see that about you at all. And so I encourage you, keep coming to church. Get in a good Bible study. Get to prayer. Do what you need to do. Saturate yourself with the things of God. And if you're out there running, and it doesn't have to be some crazy thing, you don't have to be, we wouldn't even get into it, which we would think would be the prodigal son, wasting his life on all this crazy stuff. You could be a prodigal by just doing your own thing. Turn back to God and allow him to work in your life. Amen? If, you, uh, if you'd like to take communion today, we... Uh, what we do is we, we take communion by what we call intention, which we take the cracker and, and, and dip it in juice. And we just ask that you're a Christian, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again and he sent into heaven. If you believe that, then you can come and take communion. And the best time to take communion for me is when I'm not at a state where I think, you know, maybe I'm not worthy for communion today. That's a wrong thought. You're worthy. Come up. Take that cracker, dip in the juice. It's a reminder of what God's already done for you. 
that you are home, that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you wear a royal robe, you have the, the, the signet ring on your finger, your shoes have a nice pair of sandals on them, and you're in the family. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.